Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. Today we are launching a new, new series that I'm uh, super excited about. The title of this series is We Little Man. Uh, this is looking at the story of Zacchaeus. Now, uh, something to look forward to. At the end of every service, uh, Renee usually comes up here and she leads us in a song and she tries to do a song that relates to the message. So I've made it really easy for her today. Uh, we're going to bring down the lights real low and she's going to lead us in. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. So that's something to look forward to today. Uh, but no, I'm really excited about this series. We're going to spend probably three weeks here uh, just looking at different perspectives of the story of Zacchaeus, uh, most of which I'm betting we've never seen before. We're going to kind of zoom out and look at Z Zacchaeus uh, in the context of Luke as a, an entire gospel. And then we're going to actually look at the story of Zacchaeus as it was kind of foreshadowed in the, the prophets in the Old Testament. It's really interesting stuff. So that's the next few weeks. But today we're looking specifically at Zacchaeus, uh, who he was, and the impact that Jesus made on his life. So uh, let's dive right in in uh, Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down and at once uh, and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Uh, so this morning we're going to look kind of at that finished product of Zacchaeus. Uh, the person that Zacchaeus eventually became. But what I've said before, I'll say again, sometimes the power in the finished product is knowing where that product started. The power of Jesus' impact isn't just the finished product. It's knowing how far that product came. Now, I think specifically of this church building, uh, this facility we, we're in. I love this church building. I know that there are flaws. I know that there are places uh, where we need to touch up the paint. But one of the th reasons that I love this place so much is because I know what it used to look like. Uh, and we have some pictures. Some of you will remember pretty well what it used to look like. Uh, this was shortly after we began renovations on this place. Go ahead and cycle through those, uh, a few of those, Greg. Um, you see, it was just a beautiful facility. And there was another picture. Uh, one more after that. My favorite thing about this picture, that wall wasn't there, but you can see there's a toilet uh, right there, randomly placed in the foyer. Go ahead to the next one, Greg, just an arrow on that. Uh, so uh, that toilet was really convenient, but it wasn't very practical, especially because there was no plumbing connected to it, so it was kind of messy. But uh, one of the things that, that, that I love about this place is I just remember every time I walk through the doors what it used to be and that makes it so much more beautiful uh, to me today. 
You know, that is one of the things that is so powerful about the story of Zacchaeus. That's really uh, one of the things that's so powerful about anyone's testimony. Uh, Are you flawed? Yes. And do you have your struggles? Yes. But sometimes we need to step back and remember the place where God has brought us from and how far God has taken us. We serve a God, uh, God, the prophet Isaiah said, who who makes beauty from ashes, who, who brings joy from mourning and garments of praise from heaviness. This is what our God does. And if you find yourself this morning discouraged by where you are today, you might need to take a step back and just remember where God has brought you from. And that's kind of my long way of saying understanding the the power of the story of Zacchaeus begins by understanding the the depths from which he was restored. And that's where we're going to look a little bit this morning. Uh, I want us to understand two things. This is in in Luke 19, 2. It shows us this, who he was and how he was perceived by his peers. But Luke 19, 2 tells us this about Zacchaeus. It says, first of all, he was a chief tax collector. Second of all, he was wealthy. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. Zacchaeus is the only tax collector mentioned in scripture that is followed by this description of, and he was wealthy. Now Luke never leaves out an important detail. And if he puts in a detail, it's because he wants you to know something. He was wealthy. And these two things kind of went hand in hand as we'll see today, being a chief tax collector and being wealthy. But first, I want to focus just on that first phrase. He was a chief tax collector. There are many, many references to tax collectors throughout the New Testament, more than 20 in the Gospels. But this is the only reference in all of the Bible of a chief tax collector in Zacchaeus. So what is a chief tax collector? Now, church, this blew my mind this week, uh, and I think you'll find it really eye-opening as to why tax collectors were so hated uh, in that culture. Remember, this is a time when Rome ruled the world, and everywhere that Rome ruled, they taxed. Now, what Rome did in this time period, they were at the tail end of a system called tax farming. Has anybody heard of tax farming? Uh, So tax farming, many scholars believe that Zacchaeus was a part of this system. What what Rome would do is they would put out a contract over their different provinces. uh, And if you lived in that province, you would bid on the contract. And the more you bid... They would go to the highest bidder, basically. But what you were bidding was the amount that your people would be taxed. And if you won the contract, you got a percentage of that from Rome. So basically, if I won the contract, that means that I said, I can tax these people higher than anyone else here. This is Zacchaeus. He said, hey, Rome, I I can tax Judea more than anyone else here. He won the contract. And and so he would get a percentage of what he promised Rome. And then on top of that, not only is he in, in his own heart, does he have the motivation to tax them more and more, but on top of that, they were uh, known for being corrupt people. Tax collectors would overtax people and then they would keep uh, whatever was excess. And the people could do nothing about it because the Roman authorities backed the tax collectors. 
And in fact, if you look up Roman tax farming, uh, not even within the Bible, just through, through history, what you'll find is they actually stopped doing this practice because there was so much corruption. So when the Bible talks about corruption in taxes, uh, it, it's actually backed up in Roman history. It's really interesting. But Zacchaeus, like, like other tax collectors, would have been hated and he would have been corrupt. And I'll show you in a week or two that Zacchaeus knew he was corrupt um, and, and uh, like other tax collectors, I just want you to see, he was viewed as a traitor and he was despised. This is why Jesus in Matthew chapter 18, uh, in verse 17, he categorized ta tax collectors alongside pagans. And then eight times throughout the Gospels, when the Bible mentions a tax collector, it, it lumps them in with sinners. It doesn't just say tax collectors. It says uh, things like Matthew 9-11. Why, why does your teacher uh, eat with tax collectors and sinners? Eight times that happens. It's why tax collectors, when they were baptized by John the Baptist, the way that Luke framed it was even the tax collectors came to be baptized. I want to look at that in Luke chapter 3 real quick, beginning in verse 12. Uh, he says, even the tax collectors came to be baptized. And teacher, they asked, what should we do? And then he says this, don't collect any more taxes than you are required to. Remember, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. In other words, it was a baptism of this is what you need to stop doing. So when they said, what do we need to stop doing? This was John's response. Don't collect more taxes than you're required to. And then just to put the cherry on top, the Jewish people, uh, in addition to the written law that we have in Scripture, they had what's called the Mishnah. The Mishnah is an oral law uh, that we've begun to, to gather what was in the oral law. And, and it, was, uh, it was as binding as the written law. But the Mishnah stated uh, that you are allowed by law to lie to tax collectors in certain situations because they're so corrupt that according to Jewish law, you can lie to them. We can actually see Zacchaeus, uh, how he was viewed by his peers because Jesus, uh, when he says, I'm staying with you today, we have this response from the people in Luke 19:7. It says, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now, this should sound familiar because we find this happening in Matthew and Mark and Luke, multiple times in Luke, in fact. But I want to show you one difference. In Luke 15, 2, for instance, it says, The Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. But it specifically says this was the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And in fact, in every other instance where someone is muttering or complaining that Jesus is dining with sinners, it's always the religious elite until we get to Zacchaeus. And then it says everybody was complaining now because everybody hated this guy, Zacchaeus. But church, this was Zacchaeus before encountering Jesus Christ. We have that before picture, the picture that has a toilet in the middle of the room. We have that established now. That was Zacchaeus. And then we begin to see the progress towards his encounter with Jesus. And it began with a simple desire that we're going to see in verse 3. In Luke 19.3, it says, He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was so short, he could not see over the crowd. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down what's in yellow there. He wanted to see. He wanted 
to see. Now, this is a significant detail because when we look at the placement of the story uh, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, I want to look at what Jesus ju- does immediately preceding this moment. We're going to back up. This is in chapter 19. We're going to back up to the end of chapter 18. But we're going to keep something in mind. Luke didn't write the chapters. Luke just wrote one gospel and we added the chapters. So what's happened is uh, we've separated some things that Luke didn't intend for us to separate. And I think that's what we're going to find here in Luke chapter 18. Because Luke chapter 18, we find some things that are common to the gospel or, or to the story of Zacchaeus. So this is leading right up to the story of Zacchaeus, Luke 18, beginning in verse 35. It says, as Jesus approached Jericho, exactly where Zacchaeus was, it says a blind man was sitting by the roadside. When he heard the crowd going by, remember the problem with Zacchaeus is he couldn't see over the crowd. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening, and they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. The exact same thing we find with Zacchaeus was he wanted to see Jesus as he was passing through. And then it says in verse 38, the blind man, he called out. Now he put himself in a position here to encounter Jesus, and I'm going to talk in a minute about how I think Zacchaeus was calling out for Jesus Christ. So he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way rebuked him and told him, be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And it says in verse 40, Jesus stopped. Same thing we find with Zacchaeus. It says, and he ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to see How did the story of Zacchaeus begins? It says there was a man named Zacchaeus and he wanted to see the exact same thing we have happening beforehand. In verse 42, it says, Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. It says immediately he received his sight. So what we find in this story is physically the blind man immediately received his sight. And Zacchaeus, what we find is spiritually he began to see things clearly. He went from corrupt to being pure and righteous because Jesus healed him and his ability to to see uh, spiritually. It says immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. So it is fascinating to me what Jesus has just done. Both of these men uh, have the exact same need. They, they just want to see. They have different barriers to it. But, but on the one hand, we have a blind man who is disabled and poor and a beggar, but he can't see. On the other hand, we have Zacchaeus who is wealthy, a rich tax collector, but has the exact same problem. He can't see. And while these men couldn't be further apart in terms of society that day, when you boil it all down... They both have the exact same need. They need to see Jesus and they need to encounter Jesus. And I think this is a good reminder for us, church, because we we can look at every spectrum uh, in our country today. If you went to the Pirates game or next week to the Steelers game, uh, what you would find is you're walking into a stadium that is filled with athletes who, who earn millions and millions of dollars. But if you've ever gone, you know that you're going to cross by some people on the way there who have their buggies out and a sign that's, that, that's begging for money. You have one end of the spectrum. You have the other end of the spectrum. Both end of the, ends of the spectrum have the exact same need. They need to see Jesus. They need to encounter Jesus. Whether someone is rich or poor, whether someone is, is Republican, Republican or Democrat, 
It's the same need. We need to see Jesus. We need to encounter Jesus. Now, if we go back to the story, just like the blind man, Zacchaeus had an obstacle standing in his way of seeing Jesus. He couldn't see over the crowd. Now, the blind man, the Bible says, he called out. What we are about to read, uh, I believe, was Zacchaeus' way of calling out to Jesus. Beginning in verse 3 of Luke 19, it says he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Greg, if you'll put verse 4 back up. What's so significant here about running and climbing? Uh, basically, it's, it's that in, in an honor and shame culture, which everything in their culture was about bringing honor and bringing shame, you didn't want to lose your dignity. To be a grown man who hiked up his tunic and began to run is to lay your pride aside. To be a grown man who is climbing trees is to lay your pride aside. Zacchaeus's height was not his only obstacle. Zacchaeus's pride and ego had to be laid aside to position himself to encounter Jesus. And church, pride remains one of the primary obstacles in, in, in our lives for encountering Jesus Christ. Uh, just like Zacchaeus, we live in a prideful culture. Sometimes even in church, uh, we may not want to engage in worship because we don't want others to see. We may not want to pray aloud because we don't want others looking at us. We may feel lead, uh, led to, to pray for someone, but we don't want to because what will they think? Church, when you boil it down, you have the same issue, the same obstacle that Zacchaeus had. It's pride. And that will prevent you from encountering Jesus if you can't get past it. Now, I love what happens next in the story, because instead of Zacchaeus climbing the tree and seeing Jesus, it says Zacchaeus climbed the tree and Jesus saw him. I remember I said this was Zacchaeus' way of calling out. And when he did, Jesus saw him and Jesus came to him. And I'm reminded of the prodigal son that we looked at just a few weeks ago and how when the son turned to the father, the father saw him from far off and the father ran to him. That's just a few chapters before this takes place. We find it taking place now with Zacchaeus. He climbs the tree. He lays down his pride and his ego. And when Jesus sees him, Jesus runs to him. In Jeremiah 29, it says, uh, if, uh, you will seek me. This is uh, the voice of the Lord. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord Church. To me, this is so powerful and so revealing. It reminds us that God wants to be sought after. He says, if you will seek after me with your whole heart, I will be found by you. But what he does is to a certain extent, he puts the ball in your lap. Jesus tore the veil. And now you get to make the next move, which is just turn to God. And when he sees you calling out to him, he will meet you where you are. So we're going to kind of fast forward here through the next few verses and come to the end. 
Beginning in verse 5, it says, When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of everything, out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Luke does something in this story that it's only significant if we back up and we look at the rest of the Gospel of Luke. And what he does is simply this. Luke gives us a name. He gives us the name Zacchaeus. For the vast majority of Luke's writings, unless he's talking about the disciples or someone very close to Christ, he doesn't give a name. When he talked about the blind man, he didn't give a name. Uh, the chapter before that, uh, when he talked about the rich young ruler, he didn't give a name. The chapter before that, chapter 16, when he's talking about the ten men with leprosy that Jesus heals, he gives no names for any of them. It's just not something that Luke commonly did because the moral of the story is not uh, the person so much, as, so much as what Jesus does in and through uh, that person. So when, Jesus, or when uh, Luke gives us this name, Zacchaeus, I believe it's because it's relevant to the message in the story. Now remember in that culture, your name was tied to your identity. So Jesus' name was uh, derived from a Hebrew word, Yeshua, which means the Lord's salvation, because that's who he was. He was the Lord's salvation. And I always think of Peter. I think of John 1.42 where uh, uh, Jesus looked at Peter and, and, and he said, You are Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Now I want you to pay attention to what he says here. He says, You will be called Cephas. Now what's really interesting about this is from that moment, Jesus doesn't begin calling him Peter. Jesus still calls him Simon. But what Jesus is saying is... Uh, uh, this word means rock, and he's saying, this is your identity that I'm molding you into. And what happens as you continue through the Gospels is you come to Matthew 16, and Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And they say, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. And he says, what about you? And Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then watch how Jesus replies in Matthew 16, 18. He says, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Remember the first time he said, you will be called Peter. In other words, this name that I am giving you is going to become your identity. And finally here, Peter has stepped into that identity. So Jesus says, this is who you are. Now, what does this have to do with Zacchaeus? It brings us back to the name Zacchaeus. It comes from a Hebrew word, zakah, which means, you can, you can come up, Renee. It's not what it means, but uh, it means to be clean, to be pure, to be justified, and to be innocent. When Zacchaeus was given this name by his parents, it was their way of placing a calling on his life, saying, Zacchaeus, I'm naming you this because this is who you are called to be, clean, pure, justified, and innocent. But the life that Zacchaeus lived was far removed from the one that he was called to. Until, as Jesus put it, salvation 
came to his house. What does Jesus' name, uh, what does it mean? It means salvation. Until Jesus came to his house. And when Jesus came to Zacchaeus' house, when Jesus encountered Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was restored to the person that he was called to be all along. And church, that is what happens when we encounter Jesus Christ. We are restored back to the person that you've been called to be from the very beginning. Can you stand with me, church? You may be here this morning and, and you, you think in your heart, I feel pretty far removed from the person that God created me to be, the person God called me to be. Can I tell you the fix for that? Encounter Jesus Christ. And that might mean you need to lay your ego at the door and your pride at the door. Whatever obstacle stands in your way, if you have to climb a fig tree, whatever it takes, put yourself in the position to encounter the person of Jesus Christ. Because what he does when salvation comes to your house is he restores you to the person that he created you to be and the person he has called you to be. And church, if, if the church of Jesus Christ could walk in the identity that God has created us to walk in, the church would be exploding. Could you close your eyes with me, church? Lord, I pray this morning, it is a morning where identities are restored where callings are restored. I pray that this is a morning of encounter. Jesus, as Renee leads us in song, I pray you encounter hearts in this place. as Renee leads us what does it look like for you to call out to Jesus Christ I'm going to ask you to close your eyes during this worship time but you may need to lay down your ego and kneel before him this morning might want to raise your hands and surrender to him this morning. Lord, we welcome your presence here again. Lord, I thank you this morning that the safest place we place we can be is in a place of surrender. So I pray in our hearts we would come to a true place of surrender to you. I pray as we leave this place we would go in your grace, God. We would go in your calling on our lives. 
And as people this week begin to reach out to you, I pray that you would meet them there and encounter them, Lord Jesus. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, thank you so much for being here this morning. Enjoy the beautiful weather uh, today. Uh, Greg, if you'll put that app slide back up, just in case anybody missed it and wants to check that out. But have a great week, church. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.